The following Trexan Sci-Fi podcast is sponsored in part by Rich Pete, D'Angelis, Tim Estes, Quasar Majid, Darcy Rust, Fred Hauser, and Jedi Jeff. Sorry if I slaughtered any of your names, but thanks so much for your recent donations for the show. Uh, they're greatly appreciated. Uh, really uh, good timing and uh, everything. So thanks very much for your donations, and here we go. What are you doing, Gabular? I was just surfing the internet on this portable device that Rico from Trex and Sci-Fi gave me. Anything special going on? I am just reading on the Trex and Sci-Fi forum. What? Oh no! Bob, Rico was asked to vacate his position of employment that he occupied at the chemical engineering establishment. You mean he is unemployed, Gebular? Yes, Bob. That is what I mean. He has lost his job. It is logical that we should help him find it then. Let us check our galactic job employment opportunities resource. Yes, let's. Hmm. Let's see. There are many positions open. Galactic lawyer on Rigel Floor. Ooh. Spaceship flyer in the Yubaton Galaxy. Woohoo! Arc welder on Kronos? Chemical engineer on Nimbus 3? I wonder if he and his family would relocate. What about the furry one? I don't know, Bob. She seems... adaptable. What were they thinking, Yetular? Rico is a good guy. It is called... Econ... Decon... Economics. What is economics? Our computer says that it is the amount of incoming and outgoing monetary supplements that a particular business has to operate with. In effect, it is relevant to the equilibrium of cash flow and amount to pay employees. Huh? Never mind. Suffice it to say, Rico needs another job. Well, we need a navigator. To take us on a tour of Earth? We do. Yes, we do. Perhaps he would download his resume to us. Yes, Rico, we would be honored if you would navigate our craft. Rico, we think you are out of this world. (laughs) Treks in sci-fi. Thanks, Bob and Gebular, for the uh, great introduction and job offer. I'll have to consider that, definitely. And uh, <laughs> welcome to Trexin Sci-Fi for the week. Uh, today is March the 1st, 2009. This will be podcast 216, folks. And uh, we're going to have a lot of uh, interesting things to talk about, I think, today, including my uh, 
my current job search, uh, which if you weren't didn't listen to last week's podcast, yes, I am looking for new employment, uh, unfortunately, but hanging in there, and uh, I'll talk a little bit about that uh, upcoming on the show. The background uh, music you're hearing right now is by Rick Moyer, uh, a little something he sent over to me a day or two ago called Right Angle. Thought it, uh, I thought it fit in kind of well with uh, today's podcast. We're going to be talking about the uh, Matrix trilogy of films. Uh, going to focus a lot on the first one, not quite as much on the second uh, and the third, but I'll be talking about those as well. But I, I, I've always really enjoyed these uh, movies. Uh, I think they're uh, sort of timeless in a way, and I uh, have some interesting things to uh, to show and to offer and, and just some interesting concepts and and. Just lots of good sci-fi in these films, and uh, of course, a lot of great action. And I've got a lot of uh, little collected bits of uh, trivia and things that you might not know about these films that I'll be sharing with you as well. We'll talk a little bit about Trek, uh, maybe a little bit about other sci-fi and the usual topics uh, as we go through this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Some uh, general news and announcements uh, before we get into uh, more of the show. We'll talk a little bit about Trek and uh, and then into the Matrix uh, for this week's edition of Treks in Sci-Fi. Uh, yeah, I don't like to continue to talk about it, and I won't talk about it too much each week on the podcast. But, uh, yeah, for, uh, I guess, about now almost two weeks, uh, I'm looking for a new position, looking for a new job, uh, I started this past week uh, pretty pretty heavily looking, you know, the internet search sites, Monster and other job uh, employment places, sent out a few things directly to companies that I know of in the area and uh, made a few contacts with some things and some people. And uh, uh, there's a few tiny, you know, possibilities floating in the air out there. Uh, it's a little early right now, I guess, and uh, I'm trying not to get too anxious about it all, but uh, I know something will work itself out, whether it takes a day, a week, a month, uh, or longer, or whatever it takes. Uh, I'll get something, uh, another job, and uh, hopefully a better one than I had. Uh, um, what else about that, I guess? That's probably about it. Uh, I'm, oh, sort of related to that, I have uh, I was working on this before uh, the change in employment, uh, but I've got a new website that I'm trying to get rolling, and I was going to kind of finance this thing, get it started myself, but... Uh, with the job scene, it's it's kind of tricky to uh, go spend money on other things like this right now. It's kind of bare bones has started up, but uh, uh, to cover the the hosting fees for this other site and some of the software I'm going to need, uh, I need a little bit of help from you guys if you're willing and you can. Uh, any little bit, you know, a little donation would help. The, let me tell you about about the site. Uh, this one, I've started actually a couple in the last couple of weeks. This is the one, though, that uh, needs the donations primarily. It's called uh, uh, geekplay.tv. Just go over to geekplay, G-E-E-K-P-L-Y. 
A-Y. Did I spell that right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, .tv. And uh, you'll see sort of the bare bones of the site to right now. What this site is going to be about, uh, the plan here is to uh, create a little uh, video portal uh, with a little video jukebox player, a piece of software that I want to get uh, that will host uh, content like old sci-fi TV shows, clips, uh, and things like that. Things that are not out on DVD, uh, but are maybe, you know, kind of, you know, on videotapes that I have that I can digitize and, uh, you know, just some old shows that I think have been kind of forgotten but still haven't somehow made it out on DVD, which is kind of amazing to me. Uh, some examples would be A Man from Atlantis, uh, Fantastic Journey, uh, shows from the 70s, early 80s, uh, another show, uh, Tales of the Gold Monkey, uh, which is a big favorite of mine, kind of around the time when Indiana Jones first came out. Uh, stuff like that, and uh, put up the various episodes and have a nice little player and interface that you guys can view them online. Kind of like our own little, uh, let's call it a, a sci-fi and fantasy archive of uh, genre TV and, and some mu- music videos, old stuff, uh, maybe a movie or two. Uh, we'll see how that goes uh, but episodes of these shows uh, that, again, are not available elsewhere just for, for fun and for viewing online, uh, not for any kind of a profit for anyone out there listening or who will view this site. This is totally uh, just, uh, you know, the donations will all go towards the show and try to keep that up and running. So uh, just go to geekplay.tv, and there's a little donation button there. Uh, it's all sort of under Treks in Sci-Fi to a degree, but you'll see it goes to D- to uh, Geek Play when you go over to PayPal with that. So, you know, if you can send in 5 bucks or 10 or whatever you think, uh, that'd be great, and I'd really appreciate it. Transfer of data is complete. The other little uh, project uh, to keep my mind active and uh, to avoid going crazy right now <laughs> is uh, there's a site called Job for a Hero. I announced it, I announced it at the end of last week's podcast at the very end of the show, uh, and I've got a couple more comics, I think, since then put up. Uh, just go over to jobforahero.com, all connected, kind of one word, and you will see a little cartoon based on uh, kind of a little alter ego of myself, Sirico, uh, and uh, this is using sort of some screenshots and images from the game World of Warcraft. Again, uh, not for profit, just for fun. Uh, of course, all images are owned by Blizzard Entertainment and all of that good stuff and, and disclaimers and things. But uh, it's something just to have fun with and related to uh, my search for a new job, a little bit, uh, a few little uh, kind of digs maybe at uh, looking for a job and maybe a little bit about the, you know, the old employer and things like that. I, I have no ill feelings against them. They, you know, like uh, Bob McGebular said, it's economics, although I uh, I question some of their, uh, you know, the, the decisions of uh, – uh, one thing versus another, but again, I'm not going to get into a lot of that on the podcast because I want to keep it fun, and I, uh, I'm I fa- frankly uh, <laughs> tired of talking and thinking about it too much. So uh, the weekend and it's Sunday, and I want to podcast and have fun with you guys. So, uh, but anyway, job for a hero, and then the Geekplay TV dot TV, excuse me. Uh, yeah, I went with the dot TV uh, connection for the Geekplay site. I thought that would be kind of fun for a change. So check those out when you get a chance and uh, shoot me an email. Uh, Geekplay TV, I forgot to say, has got its own email. I don't have one going for Job for a Hero, but I probably will. 
Until then, you can always email me at treksf at gmail.com. But the Geek Play site has got a geekplaytv at gmail.com. So anyway, enough of that. And uh, let's get into some uh, Trek talk. What's the latest on the new Star Trek movie? Let's find out. Okay, the Trek movie, uh, what else uh, about that uh, has been going on in the last week? Uh, got about two, just two months or so to go now, uh, getting close. Uh, the uh, couple things. One, uh, the second issue of that Star Trek Countdown comic book came out this past week, and I did pick it up, uh, even though I felt guilty of spending my $3 on the comic. Oh, my gosh, I'm, I feel guilty about spending a dollar these days. Uh, it's too bad. Anyway, um, it's a good comic. I really am enjoying it quite a bit, and I think it's adding a lot to what this movie will uh, will be all about. And there will be, uh, you know, you're learning, uh, without giving away too much, you're learning for, I think, some of the reasons for what will be happening in the movie. Uh, I'm sure it's just going to, the movie will start out and kind of get right into it. Um, but this gives you a little background on some of the new characters and things that you'll be seeing in the movie. Uh, and I don't think it's going to spoil anything for the film. They're doing a very... Uh, very good job of that, in my opinion, I think. At least so far, there's two issues, two more issues to go. One in uh, this month, I guess, towards the very end of March, I believe it should come out in about four weeks, uh, either very end of March or early April, and then another one just before the film uh, comes out. Uh, and I'm assuming these will be collected into a trade paperback, but uh, I'm not sure if that will be will end up getting on the store shelves before the film comes out. And I really highly suggest and urge everyone if you're you know you're interested in this and you want some backstory you know pick up the individual issues if you can because again I'm not sure if that's going to be available before the film comes out maybe somebody else out there knows maybe they've looked ahead at Diamond's uh you know purchasing and website they Diamond is the big like comic distributor out there and uh they may have some uh, tidbits and info on on when the trade will be out of this uh, I would guess maybe right around the time the film comes out but uh, depending on uh, timing and all that, you may not be able to chance to uh, read it and get it before the film. So, uh, but again, and there's some interesting guests uh, from the Trek universe in this these comics that I don't really think we're going to be seeing in the movie itself. So that's kind of fun as well. So I highly urge everyone to pick up the comic. There's a uh, convention out in California. This uh, I think it's in the San Francisco area. This uh, current weekend going on actually right now as I record this. Uh, boy, it'd be great to be there, wouldn't it? Uh, this is called WonderCon. It's a fairly annual event I think they've had for a, a number of years. And the big thing, though, that I wanted to mention about this is J.J. Abrams and uh, company, I think Zachary Quinto is with them, some of the other people behind the scenes on the movie are out there giving a panel on the Star Trek film, and they're showing the new trailer. This trailer will be shown Next weekend uh, with Watchmen uh, is the uh, the target, at least what they've been saying. Uh, there is a description uh, over at trekmovie.com about what uh, we will be seeing in this trailer. I've just kind of skimmed over it just before I'm uh, recording the podcast. It looks like, you know, it's a mix of what you'd expect, some some things we've seen in the other trailers along with some new stuff as well. I, I They seem to be focusing a lot on Kirk's character. I think that's obviously going to be a central part of the movie. And, uh, again, it's uh, it looks pretty exciting. It's another, like, about a two-minute long trailer. They showed it at the con, and it will be shown next week uh, with uh, Watchmen, which I'm really looking forward to seeing, which is going to be a fantastic movie, I still think. So, uh 
That is uh, a way to, I guess, learn about the trailer first. If you want, read it over at trekmovie.com. There are also uh, some uh, a couple new images floating around online. The biggest one that I've seen, uh, this uh, shows uh, the villain Nero on the view screen aboard the Enterprise with uh, the new Kirk and Spock, uh, Chris Pine and Zachary Quinto looking at him and, and obviously talking to him. Uh, this is, uh, again, available also at trekmovie.com. Uh, it's a cool little shot. Uh, it shows that they're really emphasizing the, the technology to a degree that they, they're standing kind of right in front of the view screen, and you kind of see them and the picture at the same time, rather than like in the old days of Trek where they would show the uh, the crew and then they'd, they'd cut over to the screen to make the visual effects easier to perform and do. Uh, with computers and digital imagery these days, it's very easy to put you know things in different situations and, and cut and paste and all that kind of stuff. So uh, that can be seen over there as well. Uh, it looks like CBS has also pretty much confirmed that the Star Trek experience will be reopening uh, sometime this uh, or, you know, spring, summerish in Vegas. So that's good news. Uh, finally, they've been talking about that for a while, but it's it's pretty much a done deal. It looks like now, and uh, I really didn't have a doubt that that would show up someplace else. Another hotel would definitely pick that up. Uh, why not? Especially in a year where a new movie's coming out, I still think. Uh, that the, uh, the, what was it, at the Hil- Hilton uh, before? Yeah, the Vegas Hilton. I still think it was a huge mistake for them to cancel it and close it down when they did. I mean, gosh, couldn't they keep it another year? They would have made some money with the movie coming out and everything and all the new Trek uh, stuff going on. So uh, I think they're going to regret their decision like uh, I think a lot of people do when they make uh, bonehead calls. Oh, did I say that? Yes. <laughs> anyway, that's it for Trek. Uh, I think it's time, though. We're almost... 18 minutes into the podcast we need to get into the matrix so let's get to that hi i'm rick moyer and i want to tell you about my brand new podcast it's called take him with you every week i talk about what's going on in my geeky little world of television music and in my faith my hope is that in a world that can sometimes be really depressing for at least a few moments you can be encouraged and smile a bit so come check it out www.takehimwithyou.com The weekly podcast that's spiritual, not religious. I'd love to have you listen. Thanks. All right, we are about to step into the Matrix. A little bit of trivia for you to begin with. Uh, The first Matrix movie came out in 1999. And did you know, here are some of the other actors that were uh, possibles for the role of Neo. Nicolas Cage uh, turned down the part, actually. Tom Cruise was also considered. So was Will Smith. So was Ewan McGregor. But, of course, he was at the time working uh, on The Phantom Menace for George Lucas, so he couldn't do it. Uh, just uh, quite a few people. Johnny Depp was also a pretty much a, a serious contender for the role of Neo until they eventually uh, settled upon Keanu, who I think uh, does an amazing job, probably a uh, uh, Part I think that is sort of tailor fit for him is this. Um, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Excuse me, we'll get into this, and I will stop doing that. Uh, he is, uh, I think, perfect for the role of Neo in this set of films. Uh, I'm not going to say too much uh, right now. I want to just get right into playing a clip uh, from fairly early in the first film, and then I'll come back and get more heavy into the Matrix. As you can see, we've had our eye on you for some time now, Mr. Anderson. 
It seems that you've been living two lives. In one life, you're Thomas A. Anderson, program writer for a respectable software company. You have a social security number, you pay your taxes, and you help your landlady carry out her garbage. The other life is lived in computers, where you go by the hacker alias Neo and are guilty of virtually every computer crime we have a law for. One of these lives has a future and one of them does not. I'm going to be as forthcoming as I can be, Mr. Anderson. You're here because we need your help. We know that you've been contacted by a certain individual, a man who calls himself Morpheus. Now, whatever you think you know about this man is irrelevant. He is considered by many authorities to be the most dangerous man alive. My colleagues believe that I'm wasting my time with you but I believe you wish to do the right thing. We're willing to wipe the slate clean, give you a fresh start. And all that we're asking in return is your cooperation in bringing a known terrorist to justice. Yeah. Wow, that sounds like a really good deal. But I think I got a better one. How about I give you the finger And you give me my phone call. Yeah, most of that dialogue there is uh, Agent Smith, uh, played by Hugo Weaving, uh, who also was in the Lord of the Rings movies. He is just dead-on perfect for this role. It's interesting to uh, look up some of the stuff about the film and some of these other actors that they consider for the part. Gene Reno, a uh, French actor who was in that uh, remake movie Godzilla in 1998, he was actually uh, offered the role of Agent Smith before Hugo Weaving and uh, turned it down to do the Godzilla movie. So it's funny when you look back and these guys look back on history and they think about that. Uh, another uh, bit of casting thing on this, uh, Sean Connery, uh, 007, was actually offered the role of uh, Morpheus uh, before they uh, settled and got Larry Fishburne, 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 uh, Fishburne, I think. And uh, he said, uh, Sean Connery said he couldn't understand this script by the Wachowskis, and so he had to turn down the role. And uh, I think it would have been a little old for the role of Morpheus, you know, all the fights and things like that. I mean, I think he could have done it, and he probably could have pulled it off okay. But I, I, I really like uh, Lawrence uh, Fishburne in the role of Morpheus quite a bit. He's just got that sort of elegance and sort of, uh, you know, about his character. You just believe in him quite a bit. Uh, so let's talk about this. The Matrix, 1999, uh, you know, in the, the the peak of probably computers and technology and before the dot-coms kind of all busted in the, in the early uh, part of, you know, 2000, 2001 in that time frame. Uh, the, uh, these guys, uh, let's see, what, their first names again, what is it, Larry, Larry and Andy, uh, Larry and Andy Wachowski. They, uh, for many years, worked on this story 
they had like 14 different screenplay drafts. Uh, they had a huge amount of visual uh, storyboards that they were, had drawn up to, to show what they were looking for and the kind of very stylized and unique look for these films. Uh, one of the ideas or one of the things that anytime if you notice in the, in the, when they're in the Matrix uh, in the film, it has a sort of greenish cast to it. Well, that's because when they, they processed the film and they did this movie, they sucked sort of all the blue tint out of those times in the film. Again, if you look, you'll, you won't really see ever blue uh, or anything blue-like in, when they're in the Matrix. The only time you ever really see that is, I think, near the end of the final film in the series. Uh, what else do we want to talk about before we get into a few more clips? Uh, there was something about uh, oh yes, the budget. The uh, the budget uh, for this movie at first when they approached Warner Brothers, they uh, had submitted a budget of about eighty million to do this movie, which when you think about it doesn't seem like a lot of money to produce what they did for the film for the first one. Uh, but Warner Brothers they were a little uh, hesitant. You know these guys were kind of a little unknowns. And they, you know, this huge of a movie they hadn't done before. So the uh, Warner Brothers offered him $10 million. They said, hey, how about 10 for the movie? So they gave them $10 million, And what these guys did, the Wachowskis, oh, I'm never going to say that name right. I'm going to keep slaughtering it all the, all the show. I know how to say it. It's Wachowski. It's just, it's just Wachowski, that's all. Um, <laughs> they took the $10 million and they filmed the whole first part of that opening or that opening sequence of the movie with Carrie Ann Moss as Trinity running from all the agents over the rooftops and all that stuff. They filmed that first sequence completely, showed it to Warner Brothers and said, this is what our movie's going to be like. And they took kind of a shot. They blew their whole $10 million out, and, and that was, you know, quite a gamble, really. Warner Brothers could have said, nah, we're not really all that interested, you know, or whatever. But they were so impressed by that uh, opening sequence, which I think is one of the best uh, openers for a movie uh, of maybe all time. I mean, it's just, it's so wild and, and imaginative and different and everything. And you wonder what's going on. How are people running out, uh, the way they are and doing all that they're doing? Uh, anyway, the Warner Brothers, of course, uh, it, you know, it's all a matter of history now, but they greenlit the whole movie uh, and uh, handed over the rest of the $80 million to them to make it. So uh, pretty cool stuff. So, hey, let's play another clip. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here because you know something. What you know you can't explain, but you feel it. You felt it your entire life. That there's something wrong with the world. You don't know what it is, but it's there. Like a splinter in your mind, driving you mad. It is this feeling that has brought you to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? The Matrix. Do you want to know what it is? The Matrix is everywhere. It is all around us. Even now, in this very room. You can see it when you look out your window, or when you turn on your television. You can feel it when you go to work, when you go to church, when you pay your taxes. It is the world that has been pulled over your eyes to blind you from the truth. What truth? That you are a slave, Neo. Like everyone else, you were born into bondage, born into a prison that you cannot smell or taste or touch. 
a prison for your mind. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. offering is the truth nothing more yeah it's a good uh, scene uh, where neo of course is first learning about what the matrix is what the matrix is uh, to a degree and the whole uh, red pill blue pill thing is uh, is really i like that concept and i like the way they do this whole little bit where they're just sitting in this place two chairs kind of telling almost like a story and there's a lot of references to alice in wonderland and all of that the, uh, a couple other things, a couple other actors that were considered also for Morpheus, uh, Gary Oldman and Sam Jackson. Of course, Samuel Jackson uh, seems to be considered for every, <laughs> every role, I think, in Hollywood, unless it's a, unless it's a girl, I guess, or a woman. Uh, he's probably considered for the part. Uh, but uh, it's just the concepts here of, you know, that you're living in this sort of fantasy, computer-generated dream world, almost like the holodecks on Star Trek, and your whole life has sort of been just sort of fed into your mind, and it's not real. None of it's real, and uh, it's just very, very sci-fi, very, you know, there's a lot of Star Trek things that have done this. I, I was thinking about the uh, the movie, the Generations movie, and the Nexus and all that very much. You know, you get to live your, uh, you know, kind of uh, dreams out in a way, but uh, the, the interesting thing here, as I was watching this, and I've thought this a few times when I've watched The Matrix and, and just the idea and the concepts behind it is, why wouldn't they just make, uh, uh, why did they make the world so much like our current world? Wouldn't it have been simpler and kept people a lot happier if everyone was just sort of like, you know, completely uh, well off, rich, famous, didn't have a care in the world, didn't have to struggle or fight? And I, I don't know, maybe that's because of the, the machines were being, you know, were created and programmed by humans. And, and they have some, sort of our sort of ideas and sensibilities and this idea of people wouldn't quite accept that. But I, I'm not really sure about that. If you've never known anything different, if you're just fed information, if you, you know, from the minute you're born, you think that, you know, it'd be like somebody being born into a very wealthy family versus being born into a very poor family. Wouldn't it be easier? Wouldn't you be more willing to accept that, especially when you're given the alternative of, you know, what the real world is really like now, where it's been all bombed out and destroyed and all that? Uh, it's just kind of an interesting thought I had, and uh, I don't know, maybe somebody out there listening to the show, you know, send me an email or something or a comment. I I got a, didn't get a lot of comments about the Matrix uh, for the show. I've got one later to play. But uh, we can also definitely play some next week on the podcast. Actually, next week's going to be a guest cast, so it would be in two weeks. But, you know, shoot me an email. Tell me what you think about some of these ideas uh, for this film. Uh, a couple other things, uh, and then we'll play another clip. 
uh, the word Neo, you know, uh, uh, Thomas A. Anderson has this alter ego when he's in this sort of cyberspace called Neo. Well, an anagram of Neo is is one, the one, you know, he's called the one, you know, throughout this kind of a very much like uh, the uh, the chosen one in in the Phantom Menace, I think, and and of Anakin and all that very much like this sort of. super powerful person that's going to sort of save all of them to a degree but uh also let's talk uh, about the screens all the computer glyphs and things that you see there uh they're mostly just reverse letters numbers and some japanese characters as well if you uh take a look pause it there's a lot of images and screenshots you can see online from the movie uh you know these are uh films that have been studied quite a bit and i think will continue to be studied uh for a long time How about, uh, let's play the next clip. You've been living in a dream world, Neo. This is the world as it exists today. Welcome to the desert of the real. bits and pieces of information, but what we know for certain is that at some point in the early 21st century, all of mankind was united in celebration. We marveled at our own magnificence as we gave birth to AI. AI? You mean artificial intelligence? A singular consciousness that spawned an entire race of machines. We don't know who struck first, us or them. But we know that it was us that scorched the sky. At the time, they were dependent on solar power, and it was believed that they would be unable to survive without an energy source as abundant as the sun. Throughout human history, we have been dependent on machines to survive. Fate, it seems, is not without a sense of irony. The human body generates more bioelectricity than a 120-volt battery and over 25,000 BTUs of body heat. Combined with a form of fusion, the machines had found all the energy they would ever need. There are fields, endless fields, where human beings are no longer born. time I wouldn't believe it and then I saw the fields with my own eyes watch them liquefy the dead so they could be fed intravenously to the living and standing there facing the pure horrifying precision I came to realize the obviousness of the truth what is the matrix control The Matrix is a computer-generated dream world built to keep us under control in order to change a human being into this. No. I don't believe it. It's not possible. I didn't say it would be easy, Neo. I just said it would be the truth. Stop! 
This uh, this movie was uh, well, the first film that was uh, shot uh, basically at the new uh, studios that were built in Sydney, Australia. So the exterior things that you see are all around in Australia. And, uh, of course, the studio interior stuff was done there in, the, in that uh, large studio that they built down under. So uh, another little bit of trivia there. First time that was used for this film. Uh, what else did I want to say this time out? Uh, there's uh, a lot of just le- references to, you know, both uh, books and, uh, you know, classic pieces of literature, uh, the Nebuchadnezzar is uh, something from the Bible, the name of the Morpheus' ship. It's a, it's a reference to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon uh, in the book of Daniel. And uh, the, uh, what else, uh, a couple of their bits of trivia. They uh, said that this movie would cost a lot more if they had made it outside of Australia. And they actually had a hard time finding some of the sort of run-down, decayed areas that they needed for the movie in Sydney. There, there was just... Uh, uh, not a lot of that around, and they had to sort of build some of it. Um, so that uh, was interesting as well, I thought. Uh, uh, what else? Uh, the sunglasses in this movie. That I'm not really sure why they decided, I, you know, besides they sort of have a cool factor. There's a, uh, a cultish kind of uh, sunglass company called Blind, B-L-I-N-D-E, that uh, did all these sort of custom sunglasses for all the different characters in the movies. It's, uh, you know, the, I think it's a quick also way for you to know whether they're sort of in the Matrix or not in the Matrix. They they have all these cool outfits and things when they're in the Matrix. When they're outside the Matrix, they look like, you know, hobos and bums and stuff like that. Uh, and the costuming, actually, they, they, they went really cheap on it. Like Keanu, uh, like Neo's outfits are made out of a fairly basic wool for the most part in these movies. Uh, Trinity, uh, Carrie Ann Moss. Her outfits are just made out of PVC primarily, which is fairly cheap to buy and, and to make uh, outfits out of. So they, they kept the costs down for the costuming, that's for sure, in that way. Oh, Carrie Ann Moss was another thing. There was so much stunt work and training in this uh, for these movies. She actually, during one of the stunts, twisted her ankle pretty badly, but uh, she didn't want to tell anybody. She was afraid they would, like, recast her if they knew she was hurt. So she just kind of kept on going and... Uh, uh, Keanu Reeves was actually uh, just recovering from neck surgery before he kind of got into training for this movie, which they'd spent like about four or four or five months training for all the stunt work before they started filming the movie itself. Uh, just just amazing uh, stunt work in these films, things that we had never really seen uh, to the degree, I think, you know, the, the bullet time stuff and all that uh, is, is pretty amazing, too. You have to let it all go, Neil. Fear, doubt. And disbelief. Free your mind. Whoa. Okie dokie. Free my mind. What if he makes it? No one's ever made the first jump. What if he does? He won't. Come on. Right. No problem. Free my mind. Free my mind. No problem. Right.
does that mean? It doesn't mean anything. Everybody falls the first time. Right, friend? I really like the sound work and the and the music in these films as well. Um, one little bit of uh, interesting trivia for that is that the the key at the beginning theme you hear at the beginning of each of the movies in the trilogy, the kind of strings and horn blasts, they ascend by one uh, semitone with each movie. The Matrix starts, for example, in, in the key of E. Matrix Reloaded starts in the key of F, and Matrix Revolution starts in the key of uh, F sharp. So that's a nice little uh, thing. And I don't know, some of that stuff that they put into these films is almost, I, I think you, you pick up on it, but it's almost subconscious to a degree. And uh, it, it's it's just nice. Those, I really like those little touches like that, almost little hidden Easter eggs and little stuff that as you watch them over and over again, you start to appreciate uh, even more as well. Uh, another little thing, uh, Carrie Ann Moss actually starred in a... Um, a short-lived TV show back in, like, 1993 called uh, Matrix, which I, I thought was kind of interesting. I, irony, irony, irony. Yeah, that's how you say it. <laughs> oh, sometimes I can't even say my own name when I do this show, but uh, let's play another clip. So, what do you think? Do you think you are the one? Honestly, I don't know. You know what that means? It's Latin. Means know thyself. I'm gonna let you in on a little secret. Being the one is just like being in love. No one can tell you you're in love, you just know it. Through and through. Balls to bones. Well, I better have a look at you. Open your mouth, say ah. Uh. Ah. Uh. Okay. Now I'm supposed to say, hmm, that's interesting, but then you say. But what? But. You already know what I'm going to tell you. I'm not the one. Sorry, kid. You got the gift. But it looks like you're waiting for something. What? Your next life, maybe. Who knows? That's the way these things go. What's funny? Morpheus. He, uh, he almost had me convinced. I know. That's the uh, actress uh, Gloria Foster uh, playing Oracle. Uh, interesting little thing about her, of course, is unfortunately she didn't make it uh, through all the films. She was in this one and uh, reloaded, but not in Revolutions. Uh, but because of being in The Matrix, they were... You know, kind of interesting and easy way to replace her, make her character look different, but sort of act the same. So that was, I think, a nice little thing to be able to do. Unfortunately, she couldn't, like I said, do the last movie.
first, Morpheus. That's uh, you know, it's kind of a theme of this movie, and the movies in general. You know, the idea of the one that somebody can make, uh, you know, that big of a difference and and change the world. Kind of, you know, that's an ongoing theme in, in all kinds of entertainment, books, movies, television, uh, and in this movie especially that Neo has to, uh, you know, he sees the Oracle. She says, "No, you're not really the one." And uh, it allow, allows him to sort of come unto his own and believe in himself. And until he can completely believe in himself, believe in the Matrix, believe in his ability to alter and control the Matrix around him, because that's essentially what he's he's doing. You know, he's he's jacked into the to the computer program into the Matrix. And, but he is so aware and in sort of in tune with it that he can alter it around him in a way and see what it is for itself and not really be affected by it. That's what he's doing, you know, when he, he's able to stop bullets and not be hurt and, and to be able to be a master, you know, fighter and all of that, that uh, he is just basically a, a superior element in this computer-generated program, and he is... He, he isn't fooled by it basically anymore. Uh, let's play. Uh, you know, some of this ending stuff is a little difficult because a lot of it's visual and, and fighting. But uh, here I'll play. Uh, we got a couple more, and then we're gonna roll right into the other two movies real quickly. Neo, I'm not afraid anymore. The Oracle told me that I would fall in love, and that that man, the man that I loved, would be the one. You can't be dead. You can't be. Because I love you. 
get up. In the Matrix, you know, it's kind of like Dreamland, and if you die there, you die in real life. Except, of course, Trinity, uh, Carrie Ann Moss's character, believes in him, believes he is the one. She loves him, and that sort of brings him back and allows him, you know, he's able at that point to become uh, almost like a superhero, a god in the Matrix, so to speak. And he's able to defeat Agent Smith, at least for the time being, until... uh, (laughs) Until the next uh, film, let me play the last little clip from uh, the first Matrix, and then we'll get right into uh, the Matrix Reloaded. I know you're out there. I can feel you now. I know that you're afraid. You're afraid of us. You're afraid of change. I don't know the future. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. I'm going to hang up this phone, and then I'm going to show these people what you don't want them to see. I'm going to show them a world without you. A world without rules and controls, without borders or boundaries. A world where anything is possible. Where we go from there is a choice I leave to you. have the first of the Matrix uh, trilogy of films uh, came out again in 1999. Same year as uh, the first of the prequels to Star Wars, The Phantom Menace came out uh, also in that summer. Great summer for entertainment at the movies. Next up, The Matrix Reloaded. Here we go. Are you? 
with those? It's him. Do we proceed? Yes. He is still only human. All of our lives, we have fought this war. Tonight, I believe we can end it. That's a nice trick. Huh. Upgrades. Mr. Anderson. Surprised to see me? Somehow he's found a way to copy himself. Now there's more than one of them. A lot more. from the surface straight down to Zion. There is only one way to save our city. Neo. What happens if I fail? Then Zion will fall. They need you. I need you. Prophecy is true. What if tomorrow the war could be over? Isn't that worth fighting for? Isn't that worth dying for? The Matrix Reloaded, the sequel to uh, the amazingly successful The Matrix movie. Uh, and anytime a sequel comes out, it's always a, a difficult proposition. I really enjoy this second movie a lot. I enjoy the third one as well. Uh, but this movie just has some amazing you know, stuff in it. I think it really continues the story well. The action is amazing. And it's just a, a very solid movie, I think. Uh, let me say a few things about it. Actually, The Matrix Reloaded is the most successful, uh, the most profitable of all the Matrix films. This movie made over $735 million worldwide when it came out in uh, the spring of 2003. Special effects cost only about $100 million for this movie. Uh, General Motors donated all the cars. You know, there's that huge amazing uh maybe never been topped highway chase with trinity on the motorcycle and all the you know lawrence fishburne's character on on the the trucks fighting and all that uh that uh, gm donated all these cars for this movie there was 300 or so they were all wrecked by the end of the movies uh it's just um it's just amazing, I think, what they did in this film, both visually, stylistically, and everything. The actors just trained immensely for this movie. Uh, one of the big things that they uh, did very, I think, smartly and saved them some money is that they filmed uh, this movie, The Matrix Reloaded, Matrix Revolutions, and the game, Enter the Matrix. They were all shot back-to-back. They they spent almost like a year filming these films all together, uh, and, and the video game, uh, approximately about 10 months at least, filming all this. And, and just, you know, kind of like what they did in The Lord of the Rings, uh, you know, filming these movies can 
concurrently or consecutively or all at once or whatever. Uh, you know, all the cast is together. They all look the same. And since they released The Matrix Reloaded in, in May of 2003 and then the final one, Revolutions, came out in the fall, I believe it was, was it November or December? I'll look that up before we get into that. Uh, again, smart uh, play, and, and they were able to do that. You know, they, they had so much success with the first movie. This was kind of a given, and they had more story to tell, even though I think the first movie can kind of stand on its own. Uh, I think we get a lot more, you know, background and information when we see this. Uh, I don't have a lot of clips for the last two films, but I do have a couple of them. Uh, the first one here is, of course, another classic scene between uh, Hugo Weaving, uh, his character, Mr. Smith, uh, or Agent Smith, and uh, Neo, Mr. Anderson. Mr. Anderson. You got my packet? Yeah. Oh, good. Smith. Whoever it is, he's not reading like an agent. Surprised to see me? No. Then you're aware of it. Of what? Our connection. I don't fully understand how it happened. Perhaps some part of you imprinted onto me something overwritten or copied. It is at this point irrelevant. What matters is that whatever happened, happened for a reason. And what reason is that? I killed you, Mr. Anderson. I watched you die. With a certain satisfaction, I might add. And then something happened. Something that I knew was impossible, but it happened anyway. You destroyed me, Mr. Anderson. Afterward, I knew the rules. I understood what I was supposed to do, but I didn't. I couldn't. I was compelled to stay. Compelled to disobey. Now here I stand because of you, Mr. Anderson, because of you. I'm no longer an agent of this system. Because of you, I've changed. I'm unplugged. A new man, so to speak, like you, apparently free. Congratulations. Thank you. But, as you well know, appearances can be deceiving, which brings me back to the reason why we're here. We're not here because we're free. We're here because we're not free. There's no escaping reason, no denying purpose. Because as we both know, without purpose, we would not exist. It is purpose that created us. Purpose that connects us. Purpose that pulls us. That guides us. That drives us. It is purpose that defines Purpose that binds us. We are here because of you, Mr. Anderson. We're here to take from you what you tried to take from us. Purpose. What's happening to him? Don't know. Yes, that's it. It'll be over soon.
Yeah, that scene leads into that whole burly brawl, they call it, uh, where uh, Neo is fighting all the different uh, Agent Smiths. He's able to sort of copy himself in this movie, which uh, creates all kinds of problems, and he's sort of unplugged. He's sort of different through his uh, contact with Neo from the first movie. Uh, a couple other uh, little bits uh, of trivia I wanted to pass along for this one. Uh, the, the Wachowskis uh, also, uh, in their contract, actually, it was stated that if, for them to come back and do these two sequel movies, they uh, they had in their contract they wouldn't have to do any uh, publicity-type interviews or go on talk shows or any of that. They're kind of notoriously shy about all that. They, they just like to do the work and, and have that speak for itself, but they don't like to talk to the press and that kind of thing, So, uh, which they basically haven't done. Uh, just amazing, again, effects work and stunts in this movie. Uh, it just all the cast does a great job. This is actually the most successful R-rated film of all time with the, uh, the box office that it brought in. Uh, actually, uh, even though before the movie came out, they weren't quite sure how well it would do, Keanu Reeves even reportedly uh, offered to give up his uh, percentage of the box office, which would have amounted to like $40 million extra. He, he volunteered to give it up because they were afraid still it would not recoup uh, the cost that went into making the movie. So, uh, you know, he always seems like a pretty decent guy. You know, Keanu Reeves sometimes gets a bad rap in places and things. But, you know, I think uh, I think it was after they completed filming all these movies together, he gave uh, he gave away to uh, the crew uh, a bunch of motorcycles. I forget the total number, but I remember reading about that. Uh, it, just as a thank you for all of their hard work, he, he bought them all a bunch of motorcycles, which was, uh, you know, a very generous and a very nice thing to do. I, I just, those kinds of things to me mean a lot, uh, other than like some actors who just like to yell at people who we won't talk about right now. So, uh... Uh, oh, another thing. Uh, the architect at the end of this movie, Sean Connery, again was asked to be in this uh, Matrix series, and they asked him to be the architect uh, in the end of this movie, and uh, he shows up in the other one, of course, in uh, Revolutions. But he again turned it down. He didn't quite still get the concept of it, and uh, he decided not to, to do the movies, although I think he would have done pretty good in the role of the architect. The guy in the movies that they got, I forget the actor's name, but he does a good job. But Sean Connery would have been kind of neat to see in that, although he's got such that James Bond thing about him and so well-known. I think it was better to go with a little lesser-known actor, and uh, I think that served all these movies well. Uh, the cast was was you know, kind of known to a degree, but they weren't like superstar famous known, you know. I, I just think that was the right move um, to go with for uh, for most of the cast. So uh, I got uh, one clip more on this one at, at the end of it where Neo is talking to the architect. Hello, Neo. Who are you? I am the architect. I created the Matrix. I've been waiting for you. You have many questions, and though the process has altered your consciousness, you remain irrevocably human. Ergo, some of my answers you will understand, and some of them you will not. Concordantly, while your first question may be the most pertinent, you may or may not realize it is also the most irrelevant. Why am I here? Your life is the sum of a remainder of an unbalanced equation inherent to the programming of the Matrix. You are the eventuality of an anomaly which, despite my sincerest efforts, I have been unable to eliminate from what is otherwise a harmony of mathematical precision. 
While it remains a burden assiduously avoided, it is not unexpected and thus not beyond a measure of control, which has led you inexorably here. You haven't answered my question. Quite right. Interesting. That was quicker than the others. Others? How many others? There were others. The Matrix is older than you know. I prefer counting from the emergence of one integral anomaly to the emergence of the next, in which case this is the sixth version. There are only two possible explanations. Either no one told me, or no one knows. Precisely. As you are undoubtedly gathering, the anomaly is systemic, creating fluctuations in even the most simplistic equations. Choice. The problem is choice. So by the end of uh, this one, the second movie, the Reloaded film, uh, you know, The Matrix uh, has been, you know, Neo's learned a lot more, and now he's out of The Matrix, and the last movie takes place quite a bit in the real world, but Neo has been sort of changed and affected by it. He's in sort of a a, a comatose state at the end of this movie, which uh, sort of gives you sort of a cliffhanger ending to it, Uh, and we only had to wait about six months to get the last film, which uh, is called Matrix, The Matrix Revolutions, that came out later this year, Uh, and uh, Neo has been altered in a way, or has the ability to sort of affect things outside of the matrix he can change things and do things and has certain abilities now in the real world so let's play the trailer to the last film in the matrix series now speak the program smith has grown beyond your control you cannot stop him If you fail, I won't. Do you know what happened to Neo? He is trapped in a place between this world and the machine world. Bring me the eyes of the Oracle. Then I would give you back your savior. Mr. Anderson. Who are you? Look past the flesh and see your enemy. Impossible. Not impossible. Inevitable. <laughs> In less than 12 hours, the machines will breach the dock wall. If we have to give our lives, we give them hell before we do! Can Zion be saved? Tonight, the future of both worlds will be in your hands. Or in his. Mr. Anderson, welcome back. We missed you. It ends tonight. You've never believed in the one. I still don't. I believe in him. The dock is breached! Here they come. doing what he believes he must do. If you tell me we'll make it, I'll believe you. We'll make it. 
We have to. I don't know what he can do to save us. But I do know that as long as there is a single breath in his body, he will never give up. And neither can we. Everything that has a beginning has an end. Yeah, so this movie wraps up the the uh, trilogy. Uh, a lot of it again is is a fight between uh, the the last humans and Zion and the machines trying to destroy them. There's a lot of these cool uh, little, uh, you know, they call them APUs. They're these things that people get into and shoot all the sentinels trying to break in. Uh, a lot of neat visual and mechanical effects. Only one of those actually full size ones was built of those. Uh, those sort of mechs that the uh, characters go into to, to fight off the Sentinels. The rest are all special effects. Uh, again, the the big battle here is uh, Matrix, or in the, excuse me, in the Matrix is between the Smith program, who has sort of evolved and changed, and Neo, who uh, who tells the the computer, the Matrix architect himself, that uh, he can he's the only one that can stop him. That that Smith has grown beyond his ability to control. You know, that's in essence what it's all about, uh, Neo stopping him and, and keeping that from doing something uh, that they that neither the machines and the humans, you know, both of them don't want. If, if Smith is allowed to sort of go crazy and run out of control, everything will sort of end. The machines won't be around anymore, the humans. And by the end of the movie, there's sort of an uneasy piece between the two sides is what happens. And it's a little tricky to, to follow, I think, in parts. I don't think it's quite as, as solid as the other two movies. I, I The ending is a little strange to a degree. I, I, I do like it, but I, I, think they, I think after everything that we went through for the first two, I think they needed to make, uh, make it a little more solid, a little more clear-cut uh, and not so ambiguous. I think they left it that way for a few reasons. One, I think they, they left it that way because there is still this rumor and possibility of another Matrix film out there. That's been talked about for a while, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me if we might see another one at some point. Um, I wouldn't be opposed to it, and I think with the right story and the right people back on board, uh, that would be interesting to see. The end fight between Smith and, and Neo is amazing. They spent months even just creating the uh, artificial raindrops uh, that they needed to make and use in that uh, rainy scene, that rainy dark scene that they're fighting in. Uh, it's just a visual uh, just treat to see all of that, especially in IMAX, which I was able to see these movies in. It just uh, is amazing and uh, very mythical and sort of biblical. And uh, just, you know, the music that they're using from Wagner and, and it just lots of stuff in this film is is sort of epic and and way much more epic in scope than they did in the in the first, especially in the first movie, uh, and they moved that way I think towards the in the second and in the last. Uh, I've got uh, another clip or two here uh, to play for you, but I think the the show is getting kind of long, so I'm just going to play one of these. This is uh, at the very end of the Revolutions movie, uh, a little bit between the Oracle and the Architect. Well now. Ain't this a surprise? You played a very dangerous game. Change always is. Just how long do you think this peace is going to last? As long as it can. <laughs> now, 
What about the others? What others? The ones that want out. Obviously, they will be freed. I have your word. What do you think I am? Human? Everything's okay now. Look, look! Just look at that. Beautiful. Did you do that? For a nail. That's nice. I know he'd love it. Will we ever see him again? I suspect so. Someday. Did you always know? Oh, no. No, I didn't. But I believed. I believed. you have the last uh, bit of the matrix trilogy from matrix revolutions it's uh, a, a really an amazing group of movies i think and well worth watching again you pick up new things all the time uh one thing about the release of this movie uh, when it came out on november 5th uh, in 2003 they released it uh, and, and had it uh, open simultaneously uh, uh, it's in cities across the world uh, for example, 6 a.m. Los Angeles, 9 a.m. New York, 2 in London, 5 p.m. in Moscow, 11 p.m. in Tokyo, and, and so forth, in like 50 additional countries. A, a very difficult thing to coordinate and, and fairly unique. Uh, usually that doesn't take place. Typically, uh, other you know countries get movies released even days or weeks after uh, the U.S. And, and things like that. They're, they're seldom at the same time and, and certainly not the same minute and hour type of thing or at the same moment in in history so neat thing uh the composer i wanted to mention don davis did the music for these movies and uh pulled a lot of different bits from uh some classic musical scores and themes into them and i I think it's it's a great set of soundtracks well worth getting for the music fans uh movie music fans out there Uh, just lots of uh you know you could talk about these movies for multiple podcasts a long time uh and i tried to just sort of give you a uh, you know, a taste of things and some other little uh, stuff that uh, you may not know about uh, from them. There are a lot and a lot of just tidbits and little uh, Easter eggs of things that they put in. A lot of sort of religious overtones in these movies that I didn't talk about a lot. Uh, but uh, they're definitely in there and uh, can be looked up and read about if you'd like. Uh, there are a lot of good sites online. Just do some searches and you'll find them. So, uh I think that's about it. I'm going to come back in a moment and uh, wrap up this week's podcast. Hey, Rico. This is Rick. And this is Nathan. And this is, is the, the Father and Son Review. Review. 
Well, Rico, you're you're um, what are you doing? <laughs> the Matrix. That's right, and you're reviewing all three movies or the trilogy. But we um, we made a tribute song to it. Nathan, you have actually watched the show more than I have. I, I I really wasn't a huge Matrix fan. I know, I know. Don't throw anything at me. But you liked it a lot. Why did you like the movie The Matrix? I thought it had a lot of good good points because if you really think about it, what if we are in a Matrix? What if we're just a bunch of computer programming? What if? Oh, you exactly. want okay? Ready? So we had to use a talk box to to do the lyrics to the song. The red. The red. Or the blue pill. Okay, that's nice. <laughs> oh, and one more line. Okay. Hello, Mr. Anderson. Anyway, we had a good time. Nathan uh, did the instrumental parts um, with a little bit of coaching from me. I did the uh, sampling and the vocals. So uh, here you go. This is called The Blue or the Red Pill. I'm Rick. And this is Nathan. And this has been the Father and Son Review. You take the blue pill. The story ends. You wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. And I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Unfortunately, no one can be told what the Matrix is. You have to see it for yourself. Thanks very much, Rick and Nathan, and for the song and everything, and in talking about the Matrix. Uh, great stuff as always from the Moyers. Uh, very much appreciated. And uh, if you'd like to participate, just send in your uh, comments and clips and whatever you'd like to talk about book reviews, movie reviews, TV shows, lots of uh, geeky things to talk about these days. Send them into trekSF at gmail.com. Well, that's it for this week, folks. I will be back. Actually, I won't be back next week. We are having a guest cast, another guest cast, uh, kind of our sort of monthly uh, turning over the podcast to uh, someone out there who likes to uh, give it a shot. And next week, it's going to be a Buckaroo Banzai, the sort of cult classic movie uh, that is going to be looked at. uh, And uh, I think it's going to be great. Yeah, I've got a uh, another volunteer from the forums. Uh, Pootie Glitz is going to take on 
this uh, topic, and I'm really looking forward to uh, what he has to say about uh, the movie, uh, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, what is it called, Across the Eighth Dimension or something, like one of the longest movie titles in history, but a movie that's a lot of fun. I always wish they'd made another one of those that uh, really had some neat things and neat ideas in it. So look for that next week on Treks in Sci-Fi. And I will be back and talk to you in two weeks uh, with, uh, I think, two weeks I'm doing a Wizard of Oz show, yes, uh, which is one of my favorite uh, fantasy films of all time. So until then, everyone, take care. Please visit the uh, new websites, antrexandsci-fi.com, and all that. I will uh, be looking for you online there, too. And uh, keep me in your thoughts. Uh, Wish me well in my job searching over uh, these next few days, weeks, whatever it takes. So until next time, everyone, take care. Thanks for downloading the show and listening. I'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye for now. Oh, wait a second. I'm back. Uh, I just looked at my schedule again. I had, was one week off. I forgot. Uh, next week, Buckaroo Banzai guest cast in uh, two weeks. Uh, the TNG episode, Second Chances. And in three weeks, it'll be The Wizard of Oz Uh, podcast that I'm going to do. So sorry about that little glitch. uh, And uh, anyway, take care, everyone. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Treks in Sci-Fi with Rico Dosti. Copyright 2009, all rights reserved. Treksinsci-Fi.com.